Romans chapter 12. I want to read verses 9 through 16. Hear the word of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Amen. Father, I pray for your blessing and your anointing to rest upon the preaching of your word and upon each one who hears. Uh, May the word sanctify us and uh, enable us to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There have been a lot of tears in our congregation over the death of uh, the two cool uh, sons, uh, Richard, age 16, Desmond, age 12. And even though most of you only met them once, um, I think there was almost an instant kinship that many of you felt, and it has hit our congregation very, very hard. They were uh, moving uh, all of their equipment and stuff when this accident uh, happened, and um, they were coming to the church plant in Iowa, and it's brought a deep sadness to our congregation. And added to that sadness is the death of Tricia's dad and the discipline of Pastor Mark Robinette. And there have been a number of other pains and uh, difficulties that some of you have been going through. And so Gary and I decided we'd completely change the worship service yesterday. And uh, yesterday I uh, developed a new uh, sermon that I hope will help us to navigate how we can better minister to each other during this difficult time. Some people have a hard time knowing how to minister uh, when tragedy hits. You know, they wonder, do we give these people space to grieve? That's the first impulse that some people have. Uh, Or do we offer to help? Or do we not even offer? Do we just dive in and help? Uh, What do we say that won't bring more pain? Um, How do we help in a way that will not overwhelm? Do we hug? Uh, What about those who don't like hugging? There's all kinds of questions that swirl through the minds of some people when they're facing a person and they want to be a help, but they don't quite know how to do it. Well, Romans 12, 9 through 16 gives some very practical guidance on how to love helpfully during a time of trouble. Some help is not very helpful, okay? Uh, First, in verse 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. God-given agape love is real and without pretense. We can't fake our love for each other. Love is a transparent giving of ourselves as we are. Uh, But just being yourself does not mean you're doing it in your own strength. Uh, Far from it. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Through the Spirit. Uh, Each one of these points is going to require us to cry out to God for supernatural strength to minister above our own abilities. And if we do that, we're going to grow as a congregation just like we've grown in the past through previous pains and losses. Paul goes on to say, abhor what is evil. Biblical love 
hates what is wrong about this world. It abhors it. Love does not shut out reality in the hopes of being more spiritual. No, love is real, and it recognizes that death is an enemy. God calls it an enemy. Uh, Jesus not only wept with a sorrowing Mary, but he also, in that passage in John 11, had anger toward everything that was wrong in that situation. And there was a lot wrong in that situation. Uh, He was about to resurrect Lazarus, and he knew he was resurrecting Lazarus to be further persecuted and hated. And the Pharisees were going to try to hunt him down and kill him. And he knew that resurrection would lead uh, to uh, uh, another reason for his own uh, death. Uh, When verse 38 of that passage says that Jesus groaned within himself, the Greek word is embrimaamai, which has connotations of anger, censure, and strong disagreement with something. It's a groaning about the fact something is wrong, and we don't like uh, that which is wrong. We don't like it. And I believe he was troubled at the death But he was troubled as well with everything that uh, the fall of Adam uh, introduced into this world. Love does not turn a blind eye to the reality of how terrible this tragedy really is. It's grievous. And I think it's very important that we not give pat theological answers as a kind of band-aid to gloss over how grievous it is. We need to let people weep and even express their frustration like David did in the, in the Psalms. Love abhors what is evil, and death is an enemy. It's okay to be bothered greatly by death. But at the same time, Paul admonishes us with the next words to balance that with something else. He says, cling to what is good. There is much good in every tragic situation, including death. What are some of the good things that we can cling to? Well, we know that those two boys are in heaven. That is a glorious good that we can cling to. Second, we know Ecclesiastes 3 verse 2 says, we can't die one second sooner or one second later than when God wills us to die. It says there is a time to die. Job 14 verse 5 says, a man's days are determined. The number of his months is with you, referring to God. And it's good to know that accidents, though tragic, were planned by God for a good purpose and reason. Those boys could not have died one second later than God purposed for them to die. And though that may seem like a bad thing, God's sovereignty is a good that we can cling to. It means that accidents are not, in the ultimate sense, accidents uh, in God's plan. They have meaning. They have purpose. Now, that doesn't mean we don't still abhor the death. Death is an enemy. We do abhor it, but it does mean that that enemy death cannot go one step further than God wills for it to go. And it helps to deal. It doesn't take away the pain, but it helps to deal with some degree with the regrets, with the if-only thoughts. Third, it is good to know that no death is wasted in the womb, outside of the womb. My niece Karen uh, died in a car accident when she was 14 years old, and people wondered why in the Lord, what world would the Lord allow that to happen? Because she was a very, of all of his kids, very, very godly uh, child and had such potential. 
And they wonder why, why Lord? And we will probably never realize till heaven all of the reasons why God allowed uh, her to die, but we do know one reason. At the funeral, there were over 400 people who came to Christ. Kathy says it's somewhere between 450 and 500, but it was definitely over 400 people uh, came uh, to Christ. And interestingly, she wrote in her diary shortly before that, Lord, if it takes taking away my life, do it to save her two friends. And the Lord, excuse me, and the Lord did that. Um, we don't always know the reasons for tragedies, but we can cling to the good that is in every tragedy. Fourth, God is good. He is always good, and we can cling to him. Another good we can cling to is that God loves to bring his saints home out of the sin-cursed world and into the glory of heaven. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116, verse 15. And so Richard and Desmond are definitely rejoicing in the presence of God right now. And Jesus was rejoicing to welcome them into his uh, presence as well. And so while we abhor the evil, we cling to the good. And by clinging to it, it gives us new perspective. It doesn't take away the pain, but it does bring comfort in the middle of that pain. And I know that there is at least a couple of you who were shocked and even angry at God because of this death. And I want you to wrestle with each of these points and let these points win in your consciousness and in your heart. Paul's next words are, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Now the word for kindly affectionate uh, philostorgos refers to a deep infection that involves touch, including hugs, feelings, actions, relationship, and presence. And the word for brotherly love means exactly that. It's the kind of love brothers and sisters have for each other. Now, believe it or not, this is one of the things that blew pagans away in the first centuries of the early church. I think it was Tertullian. I didn't check it out to see, but uh, it was reported uh, hearing one uh, pagan saying, see how they love each other. And it was a wistful saying, like he, he, he wished that he had that kind of a love. And our congregation, even through difficulties like this, can learn to grow in that kind of love, you know, including loving those who just left. It hurts when people leave the congregation because we have that kind of love for them. But keep loving on them. We're a kind of family, right? And so brotherly love is what he calls us to. Paul's next words are, in honor, giving preference to one another. Genuine love prefers some people over others. That's not wrong. Love prefers the victim over the rapist. Love does not love everybody in exactly the same way. It discriminates between a Hitler and a covenant child. Okay, we are called to love our enemies. Okay, the agape love we are called to, though, must give preference to those who are in the body and then moves to other believers that we are close to and then to general believers, uh, believers, yes, and then to unbelieving neighbors and then finally to enemies. But we are limited. We're limited in our strength, our abilities, 
our resources, and so we can't love everybody in the world, and so there are degrees to which there's priorities in our loving, and that means you saints need to be willing to receive the love and the affection of others in the congregation as well. We are called to that. Now, some people just want to be left alone, but we are called to this kind of love for each other. You can't be left alone. And um, I think there's every reason to give preference to the cool family since they're moving here next week. But don't overlook that word honor. Now, if you look up that word honor in the Greek, you might be surprised to find that it's the Greek word timē, which means wages, giving of money, giving of other things, as well as giving honor and respect uh, to uh, people. And we're going to be collecting an offering uh, for the Cools, uh, who will have enormous medical expenses because uh, when that equipment fell on them, uh, he was pinned as well. She managed to get him out, but his hand... Uh, he had to be flown uh, into Colorado uh, to restore his hand, and he doesn't have insurance. And so there's going to be big medical expenses that are there, and one way we can show love is through a tangible gift. Next, Paul says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Every situation in life can be seen as an opportunity to serve the Lord. Now, we give diligence in our employment, But there is a sense in which we must have diligence in the way in which we love each other. Agape love requires work. It's just the way it is. It requires work. Uh, Ray and Miriam are right now expending themselves for the cool family in exactly that way in Wyoming. So pray for them. Next, we see that love is full of hope. In fact, it's so full of hope, amazingly, it brings joy in the midst of sadness. Where do we get that hope? Well, we saw a few weeks ago, we get it from the promises of God. Uh, We've got to immerse ourselves in the promises of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says that there is no comfort and sorrow unless we have hope. And we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of a future uh, resurrection. And it gives us an entirely different perspective on death than what pagans have. Uh, This is what made funerals have such a profound impact out in Ethiopia. There were probably more Ethiopians when we were out there that came to Christ through funerals than they did through any other means of outreach because it was so stark, the difference between a pagan funeral where there was despair and screaming and, and the, the hope that filled the Christian funerals. It, it was a very powerful thing. So give hope by giving well-applied promises of God. Now, we don't want to give pat theological answers, but there are promises that can be given in a well-timed way that can minister powerfully. Next, Paul says, patient in tribulation. Now, with as many things as the Simmons and the Goodemotes and so many other families are juggling right now, it's sometimes hard to be patient. Uh, We can remind ourselves that love perseveres, It's patient despite the pain and the sorrow. Now, it does sound like uh, Caleb has been handling this in a very gracious, uh, godly way. I haven't heard of how the other rest of the family is, is dealing with things. But all of us are called to a love that perseveres even when under pressure. Time pressure, money pressure, all of the other kinds of pressure. Really, all of these points... Uh, are um, points that hang together and reinforce each other. They're a beautiful description of what love within the body should always look like. Next, Paul says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. 
How do we engage in any of these points? Well, we obtain what we need from heaven by prayer. Prayer is the God-ordained means for uh, supplying all of our needs according to his riches in, 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 in Jesus Christ. And James says, you have not because you ask not. So just tangible ways. If, if you blow it when ministering to somebody who's hurting because ah, you didn't say it quite right, don't cringe. Just pray that God would use your fumbling speech, your feeble speech to minister grace, and he can, he will. Uh, when you succeed, pray. When you uh, fall into sin of pride or anger or other things, pray. pray ne prayer needs to be like breathing for the Christian. And in these coming weeks, as the cool family falls on their faces before the Lord uh, to deal with uh, their grieving, uh, the Lord will come through for them over and over. And grief does keep coming in waves. It keeps coming and keeps coming. It doesn't just disappear, but as people fall before the throne of grace, God's grace comes in wave. His comfort comes in waves as well. Next, Paul says, distributing to the needs of the saints. So what was hinted at earlier with the Greek word tome is said explicitly here, love shares with other Christians, not because they deserve it, not out of sentimentality. <laughs> Did I even pronounce it right that time? It's just because this is what Christians do. This is what agape love is all about. When brothers and sisters have need, our hearts should instantly desire to reach out and supply for that need. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to do everything that they can do or everything that they should do, but it does mean that we will help with needs that are beyond their means uh, to be able to meet. If you want to help out financially today, designate your gift to the Cool family. It's spelled K-U-L-L and put it into the offering box at the back. And make sure you designate it because that's a general offering as well. Next, Paul says, given to hospitality. Now, this is much, much richer than simply giving money. Uh, this is a sharing of your life and home and food and other things with someone. Now, Ray and Miriam, when they went to Wyoming, are in a sense engaging in hospitality because they are sharing their life and love and labor and other things. It's sort of like bringing hospitality to Wyoming. But generally speaking, it's inviting people uh, into your home. As the title of one of my favorite books on this subject says, Open Heart and Open Home. Both are involved in hospitality. And it was one of the most dominant traits of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis and of God's saints all down through history. And sadly, it has been missing in many Christian churches today. You go into a church and within five minutes after the service, boom, everybody's disappeared. There is not this kind of hospitality. I, this is one of the things I appreciate the most about this church. You are given to hospitality. Keep it up. Praise God. The cools will need such hospitality. I'm going to skip over verses 14 and 16, and I'm going to end with verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Love is deeply sympathetic. Now, I'll admit the command to weep freaks some people out. Uh, they're very uncomfortable with grief and and they struggle with this, this command, or they feel that grieving may be inappropriate because, hey, God is sovereign, and we need to submit to his providences. But let me tell you something. His providences do not erase the pain of, uh, 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 of uh, suffering. And so 
Uh, not only does God give us permission to weep here, he commands us to weep. And there are two common quotes that I think we all need. The first is, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And the second is similar. It says, build the bridge of relationship before you drive the truck of truth across it. Now, in a sense, it's a false dichotomy because uh, both the theology of caring and uh, all the rest of theology comes from the Bible, right? So it's all theology, but I think you get the point. Uh, just like Jesus, you know, when we do it this way, we're, we're packaging the truth in flesh just as Jesus packaged the truth. So how do we learn to enter into people's lives in a way that shows real care? It'll require some inconvenience and time and wisdom, but consider five additional truths that aren't in your bulletins that might uh, help you out. First, consider the enormous inconvenience that Jesus went through in order to enter into our lives, in order to enter into our sorrows. I mean, it's breathtaking when you consider all that he endured to enable us to cast our cares upon him. And if we remind ourselves of that, um, of all that Jesus did to enter into our sorrows, it might motivate us to enter into the sorrows of others, however uncomfortable that might be to some of us. Second, <clears throat> remind yourself that Jesus does not hold you at arm's length when you experience hurts and mistakes and sins and regrets and sorrows and painful events. I mean, his compassion, his affection, his, his uh, willingness to draw you in can motivate you to imitate some of his specific uh, actions of ministering. I mean, Jesus ministered to people who were just raw, raw with emotional pain and despair and regrets and feelings of betrayal and other fragile emotions. So knowing that Jesus ministered in uncomfortable places can help motivate us to do so. Third, try putting yourself in that person's place and ask what you would want. Uh, if you would not want 100 phone calls in one day expressing your sympathies, which would be absolutely overwhelming, and if you would not want 100 meals delivered to you in one day, also overwhelming, you might want somebody in the core group there in Iowa to orchestrate and to uh, kind of uh, schedule some of these, some of these actions of love. Uh, it can be overwhelming when everyone wants to love on you at the same time. But fourth, to balance that off, not everybody's the same. Don't assume other people are going to approach it the way that you would. You might love all of this attention, or you might be the person who just wants to crawl in a hole and have everybody go away, right? Don't assume the other person is that way. And so I would just encourage you to ask advice from those who are closest friends of them to find out, you know, where their needs are at. Maybe at this point they don't need any help and uh, what kinds of ways that you can uh, be of assistance. Fifth, don't close off your emotions. Um, I made this mistake growing up in a boarding school with all kinds of abuse. I closed off my emotions. I figured that was the best way to protect myself from getting hurt. But over time, I began to realize this, this is not biblical at all. I need to sanctify my emotions to the Lord just the way the Bible treats emotion. It talks a great deal about that subject. 
And so I started opening up my heart, and I remember the first time that I cried as an adult, it was like a dam burst open, and I could not stop sobbing. <laughs> I, I totally t- took me by surprise. And it probably came because I was trying to be a real man. Real men don't cry. You know, trying to hold that in and all this pressure, you know, that comes from years of holding that in. Anyway, over time, I learned to open my heart and be willing to be rejected and misunderstood and hurt again and again without closing down my emotions, without shutting out my heart. You know, in this church, we can each unwittingly hurt each other just because we're not we're not thinking, we're not sensitive, and we need to have a love that overlooks those things, covers those things, and uh, does not get hardened. I look up the Greek word splunknon, which is the noun form, and splunknizomai, which is the Greek form for emotions, and it literally just means your intestines, right? Intestines that are in turmoil because of your emotions. Well, those emotions motivated Jesus to ministry over and over again in the Gospels. It says, being moved by compassion, literally being moved by his intestines, his splanchnon, he ministered to people. Um, uh, He ministered uh, out of emotion. Give your emotions to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those uh, who weep. Ask Jesus to cause his compassion to flow through you, and you will get over time better and better. You're going to blow it from time to time, but you'll get better and better at ministering to those who are hurting. One of the very encouraging verses in the New Testament is John 11, verse 35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you want to memorize a verse right off the bat, this is the one to take. Uh, it's Jesus wept. And uh, it shows the degree to which Jesus enters into our pain and suffering. Well, that means if you obey this last command that we have looked at in uh, Romans 12, verse 15, that means you are weeping with Jesus. Uh, There is a sense in which Jesus continues to have this compassionate heart for those who are in pain right now. Actually, God the Father does as well. Hosea 11, verse 8 Uh, God says this, my heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. We know what heart churning is. Well, God uses that anthropomorphism, that metaphor, to speak of the deep compassion that he has for his children who are going through painful events. So I think God has emotions. There's debate on that, but I think he has emotions. In any case, Jesus in his humanity wept with us. And Hebrews says that Jesus continues to be moved by compassion. It's a different Greek word, but it also deals with feelings. He's a model for us in every way on how to help hurting people in a helpful way. And so let's move into these next few weeks sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would have us do in ministering to each other. And consider these 15 points as you do so. Let's pray. Father God... I thank you that you trust us from time to time with painful events to test if we will lean upon you, if we will imitate Christ, if we'll be willing to enter into the uncomfortable. And I pray that each of us here uh, would, in a seasoned, wise way, uh, be able to minister effectively, not just in the cool family, but there is many other hurting people in this congregation as well. Father, help us to reach out to love 
uh, as Jesus loved. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.